Great singing, great praise. All right, praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 3. As we look at the rest of the text in chapter 3, we're reminded that Paul is calling the church to unity and steadfastness. Chapter 2, it's all about unity, unity, unity. Chapter 3, it's all about steadfastness, not giving up, not giving in, not backing off, but we're just steadfast, consistent, stable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfastness is, I think, one of the most important characteristics that should run through our lives. Do you agree? It is hard to find commitment. It is hard to find steadfastness. Um, people get excited for you know, all sorts of reasons. The excitement's there, but when it doesn't last, that happens a lot. People flare up, and they're super excited, and in a few months or weeks or years later, they're gone. And Paul's saying, don't give up. Go right to the end. Why, why do we go right to the end? Because, listen, here's why. Because we were a person walking through a field, and we found a treasure. And we, re- we realized the, the value of the treasure is way more than anything that I own or will ever own or will ever gain. So I'm joyfully going to get rid of everything and purchase the field for the treasure. Or like the merchant who has on a pursuit for many beautiful pearls, he's got quite the inventory and the shop and who knows what else going on. And he finds a pearl of great price. It is so valuable. He joyfully gets rid of everything and he liquidates his inventory. He sells his business and he sinks all of his money. He sinks everything into a pearl, one pearl of great price. So you don't do that half-hearted, and you don't do that with the idea of, I'm here today and gone tomorrow. When you do that, you are all the way in. And I think that's what Paul is telling the Philippians. Go all the way in. You're there, go in. So he said in Philippians chapter 3, My beloved brethren, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I continue to tell you, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy, not in your circumstances or your bank account or the weather, or the food, but you find your joy in the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives his own personal experience. He says, I have a lot of things that are gained to me. I could list them off. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the stock of Israel. I had the pedigree of a a Pharisee concerning the law, blameless, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Whatever I have so much in the credit gain department, I could blow anybody away with it. But then he says, all of those gains that I thought were gains, I have counted as loss. Remember that word loss? It was used in Acts 27 of cargo going off the ship that Paul was shipwrecked on. And the cargo slipped to the bottom of the ocean, never, ever to be received. No insurance. You're not paid back. You simply, you lost it all. It was just an absolute loss. Paul says, I forsook all of that, and I never went back there. It's gone. It's, it's, it's gone. I can't go back. I can't, I can't have parts here and there plus Jesus. It's, it's gone. It's just all Jesus. That's all it is. Wow. And then he says his one pursuit about the treasure is to be found in Christ, not clothed with his own filthy righteousness, but to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, And then to be conformed to his death day by day so that when he gets glorified, he's going to be glorified with rewards. What a great thought. What a, what a, that's the, that's the goal. That's why we're here. That's why you're here tonight. 
But now, you know what Paul does in the next part of the text? I think it's so huge. Here's what he does. He says, listen, you guys, that's what I did. I counted all my gains as a singular loss for for the knowledge of Christ. But don't think that he's some superman. When I look at Paul, I always think, man, Paul's like the super spiritual man that nobody can ever attain to. Not true. He was like you and I. Battled the same types of emotions. Oh, man, did he have conflict in his life? Him and, and Barnabas? You know, him and Barnabas were the two of the early church leaders in the, city, in the, in the church in Antioch, which was the, the first Gentile church, and they were part of the elder board. They were part of the elders, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas went after Paul and got him the job. And so they're working together. They go on the first missionary trip, and there's conflict between the two at the end over John Mark when they began the second missionary journey. You know, Paul had all sorts of things that, just like you and I, you know, there's just, it's life, it's relationships, it's, it's ministry, it's, you don't think he had some hard times? The Corinthian church absolutely hated him. They, they didn't want to see his face around the place. Oh, man, you, you, we think Paul had an easy life? He didn't. So here's what he says. He's going to give us a couple of things. He's going to give us, first of all, a glimpse at his character and then a glimpse at his passion. So that's the two things I want you to catch. Look at verse 12. Let's pray first. Father, as we go to this text now, as we look at the rest of this chapter, we want to be reminded of being steadfast, that we, we know what the treasure is. It's Jesus Christ. So we don't have a doubt about that. We know that we want to forsake all things and pursue Christ uh, at all costs. We want to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him daily. But, Father, we also know we struggle. We struggle with lots of things in this world. Sin, temptation, pleasures, relationships, finances, emotions. They're raging and they're often wild. And it's hard. Father, this is its not easy for us. We want the prize. We know what it is. It's just getting there. Thank you that you've given us this next text to empower us, to encourage us, to give us some direction, to give us some help. And I pray that this would be life-changing for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you think of Paul counting everything lost for Christ, we think, wow, that's awesome, but we can't do that. I mean, I, we've got a house, cars, we've got ministry, we've got to be here, we've got to, you know. I just can't, I just, as much as I'd love to, I'd love to sell everything and go live in the wilderness with some people that have never heard of Christ. But you know what? I just, that's not going to happen. It's not, I think, the way my life's going to work out. But the Apostle Paul says this, yeah, without a doubt, that was my passion and my heart for the treasure of Christ. But verse 12, listen, everybody, three times, Three times Paul says the same thing. He says, I haven't arrived. I haven't attained. I know what the prize is. I'm going for it, but I I haven't arrived yet. I've got, there's still some conflict in my life. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained. That's the first time he says it. Or am already perfected. Now, the word perfected doesn't mean sinless. It means that it's the idea of completion. You know, what God is intending in Paul's life, it just hasn't been completed yet. He's not dead yet. He's not in heaven yet. So he's, he's in the progress. He's in the journey, but he's not there yet. So he hasn't attained. He hasn't arrived. He, has, he hasn't been perfected, which is what we're heading toward. But he says this, but I press on. 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He hasn't apprehended it. He hasn't arrived. He hasn't attained it yet. You know what? Paul was definitely a child of God, wasn't he? Truly born again, a child of God. But he was also a child of Adam. And what comes with Adam? Sin, a sinful condition. So take your Bibles, hold your place there. Go with me to Romans 7, just to show you what was going on in Paul's heart. Romans chapter 7. Let's look at verse 18. Here's what Paul knew, Romans 7, verse 18. By the way, he's been a believer about 25 years at this time. So if anybody has reached sinlessness, maybe it would be Paul after 25 years, but he would say, no way, I can't arrive there. I cannot be without sin. I can, I'm not perfected. I have not, uh, uh, I have not apprehended that which Christ has, has apprehended me for. He says in Romans 7, verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. You know what? I was born of Adam and Eve, and I've got this sinful nature that nothing good dwells in it. It just wants to sin, 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 sin. It wants to get away with things. It's corrupt. It's got bad desires. It's just always pointing me in a bad direction. So then Paul says, for to will is present with me. I mean, Paul wants to do right. He wants to obey and and be led by the Holy Spirit. But then he says, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Do you see what he's saying? Paul's saying, there are good things that I know are spiritual and they're godly, and, and I, I know I need to be doing those, and, I, and I, don't end up, I don't do those. And the very evil that I don't want to do, I find myself slipping into. It is a constant battle, and the conflict is between the flesh and the spirit. right? And that's within all of us. And to the Galatians, he writes, do not, walk in the, uh, do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And then he gives us all what's in the flesh. The flesh has all manners of idolatry and immoralities and grossness. And I mean, that's, that's in all of us in the flesh nature. But we've been crucified by Christ and in Christ, and we have this new nature. So Paul says, listen, yeah, I've counted all my gains as loss, but I'm not perfect. I'm still struggling. There's a constant conflict between my flesh, which wants to sin and do evil, and the Holy Spirit, which only wants to do good. All right? So you, if you're in that camp, which all of us would be, we can take heart and take hope. So you're not alone in the struggles of the flesh there. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. Paul is not setting himself to the Philippians saying, hey, you've got to achieve this level of godliness by counting everything lost except knowing Christ. And um, if you're not at this level, you're no good. He's saying, listen, everybody, I haven't reached it yet. I have not arrived. I have not obtained. I have not been already completed. As a matter of fact, when does Paul get completed? When he dies. When the executioner's sword comes, that is when, uh, that is when he's released from this body of sin and this flesh that's that's. Um, on him constantly. So let's look at verse 12 again. Paul says, with good news for us, not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but here's what he does. He presses on. You see, listen, everybody, he knows what the treasure is. It's Christ, and it's knowing Christ, and it's being like Christ. 
And so he's, even though he hasn't arrived and he doesn't have it all and he's in this state of progression, he's pressing toward this mark. He's, he's got a passion, he's got a zeal, and it's w- this one thing that he's going for. So remember this press on phrase, but I press on, here it is, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to throw out to you right now two illustrations of everyday life that Paul uses in the text. Because when he writes to the Philippians, the Philippians are thinking of these two everyday kind of occurrences. And they're going to help us get to the idea of getting this treasure of Christ. He says this, verse 12, the middle of the verse, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Okay, you may have in the King James apprehended, right? In the, it's called apprehended, and, and that's literally the word. What, who do you ever apprehend? A criminal. That's, what, that's who you apprehend. It's, it's literally somebody who is hunting and chasing after a fugitive. So think of Jesus Christ He is hunting and chasing you and I down. Let's go to the Apostle Paul first. So the Apostle Paul is not a believer. He's Saul of Tarsus. He's killing Christians left and right. He's signing papers. He's okaying. He's giving the vote. Kill these people. Absolutely. You guys want to go over there and kill the Christians? Absolutely. You have my blessing. He has papers on him as he's on a a horse with a bunch of other people heading up north to Damascus. He's going to Damascus because there's some fresh Christians he can kill, some fresh meat, and he's excited. Man, when I get to Damascus, I'm going to clear those Christians out of that area. They're going to be dead or imprisoned. I don't care, but they're gone. They're done. Jesus Christ has been pursuing Saul of Tarsus like a fugitive. And on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, as they're riding on their journey, it's noon, and there is a bright light surrounding Saul, that he says in the book of Acts, chapter 9, it is brighter than the noonday sun. All right, so the sun is pretty bright, and he is on his horse riding towards Damascus with papers to kill Christians, and all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus speaks to him, knocks him off his horse, puts him flat on his face, blinds his eyes, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're not hurting me, and you're not even hurting the Christians you're killing it is hard for you to kick against the goads. When Paul was persecuting Christians, he wasn't hurting the Christians, although some of them might have been in pain in death, and he wasn't hurting the Lord Jesus, but he was hurting himself. He was, he, the Lord Jesus was arresting Paul, and Paul was refusing it until he got on the road to Damascus. And then the next thing, what does Paul do? Lord, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus is like, I am Jesus. I mean, there's no doubt in the Apostle Paul's mind. So Paul's bringing that up. He says, listen, everybody, on the road to Damascus, God, Jesus Christ, arrested me. He apprehended me. And then he gave me something to to head for. He gave me a goal, something to press toward. What's the goal? Paul says that I might know Christ, that I would know Christ. That's the goal, to know your Savior. And in knowing your Savior, you become like him, Christ-likeness. So listen, everybody, the goal that we're heading toward, it's, it's to know Christ. It's to be like him. 
It's to have his character. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, that Jesus Christ apprehended him like a fugitive, like a, a, a officer hunting down a fugitive. And now Paul says, I'm going to turn that around, and I am going to hunt like a fugitive the one thing that, I need, that, I, that God sent me for, and that is to know Christ. Look at that again. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold that Paul wants to apprehend or arrest that for which Christ Jesus arrested me. So it's being like Christ. It's not just our ministry. It's not like a preaching ministry or a serving ministry. It's not like reaching the lost. Although those are all good things, I think the one thing that Christ has apprehended us for is that we would be like him. Because we're not like him. We're sinners. He wants us to be like him. That's the goal, to be like Christ. And listen, if your goal right now is to know this treasure, Jesus, and to apprehend the very thing that Christ saved you for, you're on the right goal. You're on the right mark. You're on the right mission. Isn't that awesome? So how do you do it? You better get it figured out. Every day is ticking. You better figure out how do you press toward this mark. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He's not there. He's not totally Christ-like. He still has some issues with the flesh. He has sinful behaviors, sinful thought patterns. He hasn't arrived but he's in progress, which is where you and I need to be. But then he says in verse 13, but one thing. It's not that Paul only did one thing, like he only prayed, he walked around praying in a monk's robe. That's not the idea. But it's like everything he did in life, it was for one reason, to make him more like Christ. Is it going to benefit me? Is it going to make me more like Christ? Is it, going to, is it going to conform my mind to the mind of Jesus? Is it going to make me like-minded and lowly-minded and others-minded? I mean, his whole focus from rising up in the morning to going to bed was, I want to be like Christ. I want to know him more. I bet you couldn't just, you couldn't keep him away from the scriptures. You couldn't keep him away from wanting to be conformed into the image of Christ. And remember, he hadn't arrived yet. But that's why Jesus arrested him. And that's what Paul says, I'm going to hunt down like a fugitive Christ-likeness. Whatever it takes, I'm going all the way. I haven't arrived and isn't that what I said this morning about the merchant with the great, who found the great pearl? He's got all that inventory. He's got his pearl shop. But when he finds the pearl of great price, he's willing to say, all right, everything is gone. I'm going to sell it all so I can have one thing. And that's where we want to get to. We want to say there's only one thing that's going to matter in the long run. It's Christ. And I want to be like him. Look on. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing. Here's what he's going to do. And this is all going with steadfastness. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. The second, I told you there were two metaphors he's using. The first one was this officer hunting down a fugitive. Christ hunting down Paul. Paul hunting down his mission of Christ-likeness, knowing Christ. The second illustration it's a runner running a race. Now, I'm back into running a little bit, but I haven't run a race in a long time. And I don't know if I even could run a race. But I'll tell you this. There is no joy running a race looking behind you. What happens if when you're running a race, all you're doing is looking behind you? Okay, it slows you down. What else? You're going to trip. You're going to fall over your own two feet. 
You cannot be looking back. Paul says, listen, my past has lots of things in it. There's lots of bumps and trials and conflicts and relationship issues. Paul's saying, there's one thing after another that could hold me back. But Paul says, I'm, going, I'm forgetting everything in the past. It's done with. It's over. If we can't deal with the past, it is going to haunt us, and it will destroy our present. You agree? I mean, we've all got a past, and if we don't deal with it, it's going to haunt us, and it will overwhelm and over, overtake us. Paul says, this is the one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to be like an athlete. I'm going to run for the finish line, but I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the, on the end. I'm forgetting the things which are behind. Hard to imagine that Paul could do that. The conflict he had with the Corinthian church, do you know how many hurt relationships there were in that? The conflict with Barnabas, the conflict with the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem. I, I, you know, and there were, there were all sorts of things that happened. He had the Judaizers on his tail. I mean, the Apostle Paul had a lot of problems. Remember in Philippians 1 earlier, Paul says, hey, my brother preachers, while I'm sitting in prison, are saying I'm guilty and I deserve to be here. His fellow preachers, because they were saying, if Paul is innocent, what's he been doing in prison for four years? He should be out by now. Obviously, he's done something wrong. He's a liar. He's, he deserves to be in there. And the, so if, if Paul's going to hang on to all of that, how is he going to run his race? He can't. So he's like, okay, brethren, one thing we've got to do, forget the things which are behind. Now, it doesn't mean you just ignore it. It means you have to deal with it. We've talked a lot about forgiveness the last couple of years. Tom Meyer and May did a great explanation of Philemon and forgiveness. Listen, we need to seek forgiveness where forgiveness is necessary. We need to offer forgiveness. And you know what? Reconcile, reconciliation may never take place, but forgiveness has got to be given. If forgiveness is not given or accepted, um, the baggage and the weight is still there. But to the, like it says in Romans, to the best of our ability, we're making peace with all men. It's not going to always happen, but we're going to do the best we can, do everything we can to make peace. And what, at that point, like Paul says, forget the things which are behind. Now, I think it's not only the negative things, but I think it's the positive things. What could Paul have said? Paul could have said by this time, oh, come on, I planted all these churches in Galatia. I've done a second ministry tour. I've done this. I've done that. The Apostle Paul easily could have said, hey, I'm done. You know, I have a lot of things. I've done a lot of studies. I've, led, I've preached a lot of sermons. I've led a, po- a lot of people to Christ. Um, I'm done with my race. But he doesn't say that. He's forgetting not only the junk in the past, but he's forgetting even the good things. Listen, it is dangerous for a church to always have this mentality. Well, our best days were, we did this such and such uh, two years ago or 10 years ago, or we did this or we had that or Wow, if the church is always looking to the past saying those were the victories, there's nothing coming up because they've got their eyes back here and they're running a race. You agree? So I, I'm saying our best days are yet in the future. I really, and let me remind you back of Elijah to kind of throw this back at you again just by way of remembrance. Remember how Elijah had some ups and downs in his own ministry career? And he's on Mount Carmel he calls fire down from heaven. They slay all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And then the very, that day, Jezebel says, tomorrow at this time, Elijah is going to be dead. 
And what does Elijah do after that great victory? He runs. Runs scared. He goes and goes. He has had no sleep. He's had no food. He falls asleep. The Lord Jesus shows up, gives him food, has him sleep some more, gives him some more food. And then there's that scene in the mountain, Mount Sinai, the earthquake, the fire, the wind, and then the small, still voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah's like, well, there's nobody left to serve Christ. I'm done. My race is over. I quit. There's no steadfastness. I'm done. And the Lord says, get out. Get back. Get back in the race. Because your greatest days of ministry are still ahead. You think Mount Carmel's the best thing that ever happened to you? Just wait. And then Elijah goes and he anoints a new king of Syria. And then he anoints a new king of Israel. And then he picks his successor, Elisha, the prophet. And then God says, whoever the king of Syria doesn't kill, the king of Israel will kill. Whoever the king of Israel doesn't kill, Elisha will kill. Basically, he's saying, Elijah, your ministry, your greatest days of ministry are still ahead. Now, isn't that hopeful? I think that's what Paul's telling the Philippians. He's telling the Philippians, you need to run in such a way that you're pursuing the one goal like, a, like you're pursuing a fugitive. And don't stop until you, re- until you grab hold of it, which is going to be at our death. So literally, you're not stopping the pressing toward the mark until you're dead. Your dying breath, you know, I think about your testimony, Howard, about a godly mother. I mean, parents who love the Lord and serve the Lord. Wow, that is an example of where we want to be. We want to end up loving and serving the Lord to our very last breath. That's what we want. And how do we do it? Forgetting the things which are behind. And now here's the, the runner analogy. He says, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Epectinas. It's like two, prepos- it's like two prepositions uh, or two prefixes in front of the Greek word. It means to stretch out as far as you possibly can. To stretch a little farther than you possibly can. You're straining for the finish line. You're, you're putting that much exertion into it. He says in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, I think this is not the rapture. I kind of always thought the upward call of God is the rapture. I don't think so. I think the scene stays with athletics. Here's what happened. We have the Olympics. You know how that all works. Somebody does their event, and then they get like out of 10, how many, I don't know how they do it, but they add up the scores, and then there's a bronze, right, silver, and a gold. In the ancient days, the judge stood on an elevated platform called a bima, and then the contestants stood gold highest, silver, and then bronze. But they all, in order to get their reward, they had to step up onto the platform to be recognized and be given a reward. So Paul says, I'm not going to stop pursuing Christ. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't obtained. I'm not perfect. I'm still dealing with flesh. I'm still dealing with sin issues in my life, but I'm not stopping. I'm pressing on. I'm reaching like a runner for the finish line, and I'm pressing toward the mark, and, the, and when, I get, when I cross the finish line, I'm going to be given honor by the Lord, and I'm going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is well worth living for, isn't it? To hear those words from the lips of our Savior. So Paul says, I press toward the goal. I'm waiting for when Jesus calls me up at the Bema seat 
and he gives me and he gives me rewards for faithfulness. Verse 15, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So if you're growing in Christ and you're becoming a little more mature in your faith, this should be your mentality. You're pursuing the one prize, it's Christ, you're forgetting the things which are behind, you're stretching forward, knowing that someday there'll be a resurrection with rewards. And if anyone, uh, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So we're not going to always think the exact same way, but God will show you. So there's room for people to grow. Well, you're not all at my level. I mean, I've been a believer for 20-some years. Um, I'm not at some of your levels. And there are some newer Christians that they just need room to grow. They need room to grow, and we come alongside and help them through the, the bumps and show them what God's Word says. But if you're mature, have this mind. And if you don't think like this, God will teach you. He'll work with you on that. Verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So all of us are someplace in the race. And if you're farther along, then live like it. Don't give up. Press toward the mark. Forget the things which are behind and realize greater days of ministry lie ahead. Brethren, verse 17, follow in joining my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. All right, next what he does is he does this. He calls the church like he did to Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says, people in the church look for godly role models and follow after them. You know my greatest, my greatest um, role as a pastor? Of course, it's guiding, feeding, and teaching the word of God and leading in prayer. But the greatest thing is, I think, example and influence. And if you don't have that, you don't have a ministry. If you don't have example and influence, you don't have a ministry. We all need to find people that are walking the walk, people that are running like Paul was running. Not perfect. They hadn't arrived. They haven't attained. You could pick out the sin in Paul's life. You could pick out the sin in everybody's life. But at least they're making progress. That Paul wasn't the only one. He said, join and follow in my example and note those who so walk. For you have us for a pattern. There's, there's many. So I think we need to have people in our life that are mentoring us. I do. I've got pastor friends and other friends that aren't even pastors that I look up to. I, I watch their behavior. I watch their habits. I watch how they talk. And then I can pattern myself after them. And then I want to set as myself as an example in a pattern before you all as your pastor. But I'm not the only one. There's others you could imitate after as well. Now, here's the question. Do you want everybody imitating you? Do you want everybody imitating your quality of Christian experience? Do you want everybody imitating how much time you spend in the Word or how much time you spend in prayer or how much time you spend in witnessing or how you treat your spouse or how you raise your children? Do you want others to imitate you? I mean, everybody in this room is a pattern. It's just what are we, what are we portraying? Now he's going to share the enemies. Verse 18, here's another beware of. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, he warns within your church will rise up wolves in sheep clothing. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, the end of these individuals is destruction whose God is their belly. Now it's not like Buddha, but it's like this. The, the belly was the seat of the desires. 
you can tell by what somebody desires what direction they're heading. And there were people in the church that were not to be followed because the God that they followed was their pleasures. It was their senses. It was things they can see, taste, touch, all of those things. It was their desires. You can just tell you can't follow a person like that. All right? So be on guard. You're going to follow somebody. Don't follow these type. Their glory is going to be in their shame, and they set their mind on earthly things. So choose who you follow. Be careful who you follow. So again, do you see where the flow of the pattern, the, the passage? Paul says, hey, I haven't arrived. I've, I counted everything lost for Christ, but I'm not there yet. I'm still progressing. I'm hunting Christ-likeness down like a fugitive. I'm not looking behind. It's all done. It's in the past. I'm moving on for better ministry. And, and then he says, I'm waiting for the upward call when I can be put up on a platform with Christ during the time of rewards. And then he says, you guys, go ahead and follow me, follow my pattern, and find other godly people to follow, but don't follow those who love the earthly things. Don't follow them. Pay no attention to them. And by the way, he tells them that weeping. I think he was actually crying when he, when he told his secretary to write that. And then we close with these last verses. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. All right, just as we close, here's what he's saying. Listen, everybody. There's coming a day when Jesus is coming from heaven, and we will be out of this earth. It's going to happen soon. For Paul, it was going to happen soon, and then he just died. And now it's 2,000 years later. It is going to happen soon, everybody. The Savior is going to come eagerly for us. And when he comes, our bodies are going to be transformed. The Romans 7 flesh issues of, I want to do certain things and I don't do them. The evil I don't want to do, I end up doing. That whole conflict is gone. The Savior is going to take our lowly body, transform it into the very image of Christ, and listen, isn't that what he wants? Isn't that what he's pressing toward? He's pressing toward the one treasure of Christ and being like Christ. He wants to develop Christ-likeness. And, he's, and now he says at the end of the passage, it's going to happen. Christ is going to come from heaven. He's going to raise my body up, and I'm going to be finally, I will finally have the prize. I just want to know Christ and be like him. And he's going to do it by the very power by which he raised himself up. And then he ends with chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren. Okay, one heaping lovely word after another. Paul really cared for these people. He really, really cared for them. They weren't just some nameless church. They were like his family. They were bound together. Therefore, my beloved, my longed-for brethren, my joy, my crown, here it is, stand fast in the Lord. Unity, steadfastness. Don't give up. Listen, in, in the years of ministry, this is my, I think, 18 years of pastoring, 23 or whatever, being here um, as a believer, 
Let me close with this. I have seen a lot of people come and go. No doubt, over a thousand. Over a thousand people have come and gone through this church in 20 some years. I believe it. We, try, we just even kind of added up in our head the number of people that have come and gone, and some that we know aren't steadfast. They're not, they're, they're not just not here, they're just not serving. They're not loving Christ, they're not pursuing the prize. And it's tough. It's the hardest part of ministry. I wish everything was nice and happy all the time. But then we wouldn't need Philippians, because Philippians is encouraging us to be joyful all the time, even in the hard places. But if there's anything I would beg you, be steadfast. The prize, the treasure, it's worth it. If you gave everything away right now for Christ, he is still worth it. He is still far greater than anything you could give away. Isaiah 40 says, if you even had, there's just no amount of sacrifice you can give to pay back Christ. He is that valuable. So Paul ends by saying, just be steadfast. Don't quit, Philippians. Get your unity, get your joy back, be steadfast, progress, move on, forget the things behind and press toward, press on. You got more people to reach, more ministry to do. Now, having said that, next Sunday morning, he's going to remind them again, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and he's going to bring up even the conflict within the church, very uncomfortably, as the letters being written, or being read, he actually identifies individuals in the church that have issues, and he brings it up publicly, and I bet, I bet there would be some, I mean, can you imagine if a letter was read and it was like, Melissa and so-and-so, stop fighting and get right with each other because you can't keep going like this. I mean, it'd be like, did I just have to read that in this letter? I mean, I mean, everybody is, everybody's been thinking it, but now it's said, you know. So how can Paul say rejoice in the Lord always, even in a context like that? So study that out next week, chapter 4, because he's going to say this, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is near. That's the key. The key is, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Um, that's next Sunday morning. Next Sunday night, a special concert here at the church for Summerfest. Let's pray. Father, we know what the prize is. It's Jesus Christ. We know the treasure is who he is in his glory. We also know that we have been apprehended. We have been arrested to become like Christ. That is our goal. We want to know him more day by day and be transformed into his image degree by degree. We'll never attain. We haven't arrived. We're not perfected. It's only going to happen the day we die or the day we're raptured. But that's what we're pressing on like an athlete for the finish line. And we're not going to keep our eyes focused in the past. Whether it's been good victories or bad things, the past is the past. Father, we are pressing on toward the mark of Christ. And anybody who doesn't think that way, Father, you'll need to convince them. But we also know that there's patterns we need to follow and patterns we need to avoid. Help these men and women that are here tonight 
be godly patterns that others could look up to and say, I want to model my life like that. That's the kind of person Christ would want me to be. So thank you for giving us physical examples of godliness in the church. And we're looking for the day when the battle is over, the fight is done, the flesh is gone, and we are transformed into Jesus' glorious image. Wow, you are an awesome God. We want to be steadfast all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.